Welcome back, besties. We're here now to talk about actually a follow-up conversation from Scarlett Mulligan, who is a PA out of Clarksville, Tennessee. We talked about attachment and the attachment styles that we kind of form as children and how that shows up in our adult lives. And so we thought it might be important to just do another follow-up that's just focused on that. Hi, I'm Casey, and right here beside me is Kelsey. We are licensed professional counselors, mothers, entrepreneurs, oh, and besties. We know firsthand what it's like to wake up one day and think, how in the heck did I wind up here? Through our own journeys of self-discovery, we found that joy is something that has to be pursued through internal work. Now we are on a mission to help women from all walks of life understand themselves more so they can have real lasting joy. Join us every Thursday to hear fun and insightful interviews with experts who can point you toward self-discovery and fulfillment. Small disclaimer, uh, Casey threw me through a loop because she told me that we were going to talk about over-functioning, and then she's like, we're talking about attachment. Surprise! Surprise. Just a lot of thoughts about Scarlett talking about how when she pulled out all of these things from her backpack of trauma and experience and all the things she didn't look at she did at one point look at them like oh my gosh like but then she turned it into something really interesting like a backbone and I think that's like we don't have to look at trauma as like oh we're just these wounded people and that's how we have to present ourselves and walk around it's it's more than that yeah so basically what Kelsey is summarizing here (laughs) is a lot of us think about our past childhood experiences and our uh, early adulthood experiences, including traumatic events and hurts and pain and letdowns and, and all of those things. And it's like we almost shove them down in a backpack and we we bury them and we carry them around with us. And it's very rare that we ever take them off. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we take off the backpack, but it's it's short lived and we live our lives weighted down by all of our pain from our past. So Kelsey had asked Scarlett, what changed for you? Like, when did you stop looking at your past trauma as a backpack that you were carrying around? And so Scarlett talked about when that happened. But more importantly, she said, what I did is is I turned all of that grit and all of that pain and, and all of those things into a backbone instead, something that's not going to weigh me down, but something that's going to make me stronger. I just thought that that was really powerful, especially because a lot of people like when we're talking about trauma attachment, like maybe how you grew up, how you raise your children, they don't want to look at it like they're so terrified that like I've had people tell me like, I don't want to go there because what do I do with it? Like exposing these open wounds. Yeah, that I'm just going to feel more broken than I already feel right now. What else? Did you write any more notes? I did. Well, This is a question for Scarlett, but we will have her on here in the future, I'm sure. But she talked about relocating a lot and how that may have affected her. And so I wrote that I wrote relocation. Well, I can see a lot of similarities in my story and Charlotte. Or I always want to call her Charlotte. I did the same thing. I cannot help it. I did the same thing. I call her Charlotte all the time. Sorry, Scarlett. I know your name. But whenever I was in therapy, for the past couple of years myself, one of the patterns that my therapist noticed was my need to escape. 
and how I would go from one situation to another situation or, you know, I was always on the move, like moving homes or moving cities or planning vacations or, or just doing something to stay busy. And that's what I thought it was, just keeping busy, which I, I do think that that's partially what it is. But she also pointed out that with every new change or with every new move that I looked at that as an escape, like, okay, maybe this will be the time that it, I'm finally going to feel something different, or I'm going to feel fulfilled or feel whole or feel whatever that I'm searching for. And so when she was talking about, you know, always packing up and moving in my head, I was thinking, well, you know, that's a perfect distraction, but it's also maybe she's searching for that, for that void or that missing piece. Yeah. I was thinking about just in your book and and several times that we've talked about, like, the escape and what that looked like. We went to Fripp and you were like, I've never felt this way before. Mm -hmm. And like Fripp was like your escape. Well, yeah. I mean, I always felt like I had to leave my life to get peace or to get any kind of release. Like I couldn't experience joy or I couldn't experience fulfillment or happiness at home. I always had to go somewhere to do it. And it was probably back in like 2017, 2018, some friends of mine mentioned Fripp Island, South Carolina, as this great place to go for vacation. And I saved up as much money as I could and worked really hard to be able to do that because I didn't really have enough that's not something I ever did. Like I never went on vacation growing up and never, never, ever experienced anything like that. But I remember sitting on the beach the first time I ever went to Fripp Island and my daughter Lennon was little at the time. And so was Mamie. But I just remember sitting there, like looking out into the ocean, just thinking this world is so freaking big. Like this is so freaking big. And I'm just sitting here living this little, small, little life, accepting whatever I have as good enough. And I want to live here. I want to be here. It was almost like something clicked for me that like, why can't you live here? And I I remember sitting there on my phone, looking up houses and values and home prices. And I was thinking, how much do I need to work? What do I need (laughs) to do to be able to buy one of these houses? But it was because of this feeling of escape that I had there. You know, it was like the rest of the world just kind of melted away. There was something else that Scarlett had mentioned, too, and I I thought it was really relevant, too, when we talk, when you talk about energy pie and how you only have so much. She was saying something about, she's talking about her daughter and how she couldn't really hold that space for her. And I was really curious how that translates from all the distractions in your, your life that you're not even aware of and how you don't have energy to show up like you want to show up Mm -hmm. or, you know, because she talked about hugging her daughter and how it was kind of like, oh my gosh, this is the point that I need to hug her. If you're not used to that, that takes a lot of energy. And if you have a lot of chaos, how do you have the energy to even be intentional about those things or mindful of those things? Well, you don't. And it's not even, it's not even just about energy. It's like you literally feel so awkward. You know, that's why it's so awkward for me to hug people. Yeah. Nobody's ever hugged me. Like, it's not like, you know, I'm walking out of my parents' house and they're like, hey, give me a hug. Like, never, never. 
So for someone just to like come in and and try to hug me because they're leaving, that takes a lot of energy, but it also takes, I don't know. (laughs) I don't, I don't know the words to describe this, but it, it feels so unnatural. If you guys can see her face right now, she's a little nervous just talking about it. It it does. It like really kind of freaks me out because I think I know what it is. okay? Okay. I think I, I think I figured it out just now. Are you tired of running to the lobby to see if your next appointment has arrived? Would you like a more discreet, stress-free way for your clients to check in? Take a deep breath. The receptionist for iPad empowers your practice to create a zen-like check-in experience. This episode is sponsored by the receptionist for iPad. It's the highest rated digital check-in software for therapy and behavioral health offices used by thousands of practitioners across the country. The Receptionist for iPad is a simple, inexpensive way to allow your clients to discreetly check in, to notify providers of a patient's arrival, and to ensure your front lobby is stress-free. The software sends an immediate notification to the therapist when a client checks in and can even ask if any patient information has changed since their last visit. Start a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com besties And when you do, you'll also get your first month free when you sign up. As a kid growing up, I was so hyper vigilant about everything. I don't know if you would know this about me now or recognize this about me now, but I was so hyper vigilant because my mom struggled with depression and and anxiety and several members of my family. And my stepdad was super rigid in like how he wanted things to be. And so I always felt like I needed to be on guard. Like I couldn't be too loud or I couldn't interrupt or I couldn't get home at the wrong time. Or if someone was coming home, listen, this is how crazy it was. (laughs) I lived in this, we had, we built this little cabin out in the middle of the woods, like way far away. And I became so hypervigilant and and observant that I could tell you who was driving down the gravel road without even seeing the car. I would pay such close, close attention to the sounds and like the average speed and how they maneuvered and the way the gravel sounded that... I knew exactly who was coming home because I had to make sure that whatever I was doing, TV was down, phone was off. If I was on the phone, I had to go in the closet. My grandpa was a lot like that, too. It was always like, we have to protect the peace for the bin. And so I was always on edge. And I think that that's part of where that comes from. Casey saying this reminds me of something, and maybe she can speak a little bit more, but you still do this in a different sense. Yeah. You always know when I'm walking down a hallway. Yeah. You always know if it's, you know, one of our coworkers, whoever it might be. She knows. She can call it out. And everybody always is like, how do you know their footsteps? Yeah, it's it's the cadence and their pace and how they hit the ground with their feet. Like, I know niece Lexi when she walks on the hall. I know exactly who's coming. I know Hannah. I know Emily's got like a short little stride. Niece Lexi sounds like a an elephant running through a china shop. You always do like a big grand entrance, like a big door swing open. And then like your, your feet are 
slower. Jackie, Jackie's like slow and steady. Do, 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 do. I notice that. And I can also smell people. So I know who's been, like, I can walk into your office and tell you who's been in there because I know their scent. Is it a way, do you think it's a way to protect yourself? I mean, I know that you don't have to, like, you're not, like, fearful of the people who work in this building, but. So you know what to expect. Yeah, it is a it is a protection. It's like I need to know what's going on. I got to be aware of my surroundings. I have to. It's and it's it's not like a threatening environment. It's just something that I grew up with so much anxiety around what I was doing that I just had to be aware of it. And I know it's different now. I mean, I'm almost forty, but back when I was younger, like a little kid, like my parents were older. You know, my mom was 35 when she had me. So by the time I was, you know, like our kid's age, my mom was kind of like old compared yeah. to my friend's moms. And so they just, I always thought that they just didn't have a lot of patience for me because, because they were older and they'd already done that. Yeah. So the more that I could just fly under the radar, the better. I have another question because you just have me going like my mind is racing. What were you worried about or what are you still worried about? Give me a scenario. Like knowing who to expect while they're walking down the hallway. What is what is the worry? I don't know that I have like a, a worry on the forefront now. I think I've, I'm just so used to it that it, I just do it now. I don't it's not like I'm trying to decide, oh, who's walking down the hall. I just pay attention. I pay attention to all of the little things that go on. So I don't know. I was just thinking about um, maybe because I know you in a work environment and maybe go back five years ago when we were taught like it's like preparing yourself for the worst or preparing yourself. Well, outcomes. Yeah. Trying to control the outcome. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, there's probably a lot of that that still goes on with me. I just don't see it as that anymore. But pretty early on in one of my businesses, there was some major, we had some shady shit going on. Employees like trying to gain information to go do their own and and just way beyond what was necessary. So shady shit. Yeah. So shady shit. And I think that that really left a, a wound. And so now, yeah, even though I don't overtly act like I'm controlling the situation at work because I very much prefer to just not be in control. I still know what's going on. Yeah. And even though I don't always act like it or I don't need to be the one that leads a meeting or I don't need to be the center of attention, I do recognize who's here, who's not. How long has that piece of drywall been laying on the floor in front of the bathroom? Who's supposed to pick that up? When are they going to pick that up? You know, sometimes I'll come in on the weekend to get something and I'm like, oh, Ashley's been here because I can smell her. Like, you know, I just know who's around or I know if my dad's been in the building because I can smell the cigarettes or like, you know, just all these little things. It, it makes, maybe it's that it makes me feel more safe. I think it's also... I was thinking about the backbone situation, and I'm going to be hung up on this all day today. But it's almost like it's a piece of your backbone, like the experience that you, Mm -hmm. like younger, you were probably like, you felt like you had to walk on eggshells constantly. And now it's not that you walk on eggshells, you just are very, pay close attention to detail. 
yeah, even in, you know, situations like at the ball field with our kids, like I always know who's around me. I pay attention to what people smell like so that if they're standing behind me, I know that they're there. Yeah. I read people's body language. That was the one that I would do when I was growing up and a teenager a lot. Just, you know, my mom walks in the door. I already know. Do I talk to her? Do I not? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> do I even try or is she having a bad day? Like, where where do we go? So I, I think also that comes from this disorganized attachment style, because if you don't know what to expect out of your parental figure, and if one day they come in and they're like overly you know, oh, you're so pretty, you know. And then the next day they come in and you look at them sideways and they smack you on the behind. You never know. It's not predictable. And so that's that's a disorganized attachment style. And that makes someone like me very hypervigilant. It's interesting because I know we've talked about, and I keep saying it's interesting and I'll stop. <laughs> But it's like Scarlet and super, super. Yeah, it's super interesting. Well, when you were talking about that, it makes me think about some of the relationships you've been in and the information that I know based on what you've told me is you never know what to expect. Mm -hmm. and, and one minute they're walking through the door and they're all about you. And the next they're conspiring something behind your back. Right. So there's definitely a level of trust. And so that unpredictability, I think, also alters our sense of trust mm -hmm. because it's almost like, well, I can't trust you to be predictable. It's like little kids that are, that have trouble going back and forth between parents who are divorced or separated or whatever. And they tend to maybe favor one parent over another, even though it's probably not favoritism. It's just that predictability allows them to release. And it's like they can relax and they know that they can trust that mom or dad is going to react to me the same way every time I do this. One time they're not going to ignore me and then the next time they're going to spank me. Yeah. That does something to us emotionally and mentally. And, and puts us on this high alert of, yeah. if I spill this cup, am I going to be in trouble and grounded or spanked? Or is it fine and they'll just be nice and clean it up? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a big part of it, too, because a lot of my discipline depended on my parents' mood. And I think everyone can really relate to that. Yeah. I mean, I can certainly, I parent my children differently if I'm not stressed at work. It, it's just different to you, more yeah. human. So I think just being aware of that is also helpful. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, thank you. No, I was just thinking about my own parenting and like sometimes when I have been super anxious and I'll tell you now, like I'm getting anxious and I don't, I don't want to take that out on people that don't deserve it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad we had that conversation about attachment because I, I think that all of us are programmed to have behaviors that stem from attachment styles. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying our podcast and would like to hear more from us, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast so we can keep making great content like this.